Hello, everyone, and welcome to Joe's Tango Podcast, where we hear from all types of fascinating tango professionals. We hear about their experiences, their insights, and through that, we figure out ways to improve our own tango. I'm your host, Joe Yang. Thanks for tuning in. If it's your first time finding us, thanks for being here. And please take a quick moment to check out our previous episodes. You will no doubt find answers to many of your tango questions. So, do we choose tango or does tango choose us? My guests today certainly feel that tango discovered them. It happened in 2013 and very quickly they fell in love with this dance. Before they knew it, they were deep into studying and have received guidance from many renowned tangueros. They have traveled internationally to hone their craft and are presently based in eastern Kansas where they teach and organize events. And with me now are Kirill and Sophia. Thank you both so much for being on the podcast. It's great to be talking to you. Yeah, it's great to be here. Yeah, yeah. thank you. Great. Okay, just to jump right into things. So um, how did you fall in love with tango? Did you fall in love together with tango or separately? We did it together. Mm -hmm. So our first exposure to tango was a tango performance done by our future teachers at the public library. Mm. I always wanted to do something together with Kirill and thought that tango lesson would be perfect way to spend time together outside of work and other home errands. Mm -hmm. So what I really love about doing tango is that it allows us to work together on creating something, just, you know, creating some new things together. Mm -hmm. And it also teaches us to express our opinions without hurting each other's feelings <laughs> and being able to compromise as well. Nice, nice. So what was your very first tango lesson like? I don't know. I think it's hard uh, to mm -hmm. remember because it's been uh, quite a while ago. Mm -hmm. That being said, I do remember one experience. I don't know if it was during my first lesson or during a subsequent lesson, mm -hmm. but there was uh, one follower who I got paired up with as we were going through rotation. Mm -hmm. And in fact, uh, we're really good friends with her now. She's stuck in the community. But mm -hmm. during that very first lesson, I was incredibly intimidated because I got paired up with her mm -hmm. and we started dancing and she started micro correcting everything that I was doing. She said, Ooh. no, you got to step here. You got to do this. You have to transfer weight like this. And I was, I had no idea what was going on. Mm -hmm. I could barely follow along and, and I got scared. And in fact, we, we, we got out of that class and I told Sophia, I'm never going to another tango lesson again. <laughs> if I have to dance with her, I, I can only dance with you. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, and then after a couple of lessons, I think things started to fall into place a little bit. And and with time, I started to really understand what was going on. Both of us did. And, mm. and that that element fell away. And like I said, uh, that person is a really close friend of ours now in the community. And I don't know if she even remembers that, but it's sort of a, a funny experience that I remember. Yes. Nice. And now next. Uh, so every time she attends our lesson, she's still part of our community. Mm -hmm. Every time she comes to our lesson and dance with beginner leaders, we're always trying to make it as smooth as possible. So we <laughs> don't intimidate beginner leaders. So they come back again. Yeah, we always walk up to them afterwards. Like, don't worry. She does this with everyone. everyone. <laughs> she's really she's really friendly. She just wants you to get it. And this is mm -hmm. the best way she knows how to do it. Yeah. Yeah. So what was your very first dance like at a Malanga? So we had a couple milongas in our communities that we felt pretty comfortable with, mm -hmm. but we thought that the biggest 
impression that we got was actually attending a real milonga, real big milonga in Los Angeles. Mm. So at that time, we were dancing approximately six months mm -hmm. and could only comfortably walk. Mm -hmm. And only together. And only together. Oh, I see. So... Of course, during the milonga in, in Los Angeles, the floor was crowded, there was no place to walk, everybody was almost standing and dancing in their spots. Mm -hmm. So we tried to dance two times. Uh, after the f every first song of the tenda, we could no longer proceed, so we went back to our seats. Mm -hmm. And then we just ended up sitting the entire time and just watching other people dancing. Mm -hmm. I, w I was really uh, unhappy with myself. <laughs> I was sort of kicking myself, thinking I should I should be able to do this. Why is there no room on the floor? Why is this so difficult? I'm never dancing again. Mm -hmm. You know, kind of those typical things. And uh, and yeah, we ended up, the, I think the only reason we stayed as long as we stayed was there was a promised performance in the middle of the night. Oh. And it was the first time I would see tango live outside of just seeing our own teachers dance in our community mm -hmm. and I really wanted to see uh, see that mm -hmm. so um, I sort of sulked in the corner watching everyone dance and thinking <laughs> I'm never going to be good at this um, and uh, it was it was quite it was quite a sort of a letdown in many ways mm -hmm. uh, didn't stop us then of course from continuing tango I think if anything it energized both of us to sort of say okay we want to get better yeah and was there anything else Sophia sorry I sort of no, stole your thunder you're, a little bit Good. I was just, I wasn't that upset as Kirill was. Mm -hmm. I was just, I really enjoy, even uh, today, I really enjoy just sitting and watching other people dance mm -hmm. to understand what movements they do, what decorations are uh, possible from the followers' perspective. So I enjoyed it. It wasn't a significantly pushed down experience for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But eventually it, the dance did start coming together for you. So do you remember maybe the first time that a dance felt really good at a Malanga? I think for me, the earliest experience that I can remember in that regard was we traveled to St. Louis, which is a community really close, mm -hmm. well, relatively close to us, about four hours driving distance. Mm -hmm. And uh, and we were there, I think we traveled there just, just on a whim to dance with St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And I was dancing with a gal that I'd never met and we and we were I don't even remember what we were doing in the dance, mm -hmm. but I do remember that the embrace felt amazing. It was the first time that I really felt comfortable just even standing mm -hmm. in in the dance, and that stuck with me. I think in subsequent times when I danced with that same follower, that that little bit of magic wasn't there, or it sort of it, it stopped coming up as often. Mm -hmm. But that one experience of of really all of a sudden feeling like I was super comfortable and the embrace felt really warm and, and, and lovely and I could dance and I could sort of relax and listen to the music in some capacity, that stuck with me as just a foundational memory of why, mm -hmm. why we do what we do in this dance. Mm -hmm. What about you, Sophia? I really started enjoying milongas when I felt comfortable doing capaceo and then being invite being invited by other leaders mm. so i i think couple first milongas we were just we were dancing only with kirill and i was not comfortable with dancing with other leaders mm. and then i think when we went to st louis and the people there are so friendly and we were dancing with everyone and at that point i felt really good you know, during my dance and wanted to do more. Hmm. Yeah, so I want to change gears a little bit to uh, talking sure. talking a little bit more about your own learning experiences. So what's some really 
uh, memorable advice or good advice that you've gotten from some of your own instructors over the years that still stick with you today? For me, and Mm -hmm. I think Sophia has some memorable advice for herself, Mm -hmm. but for me it was uh, probably three years ago when we went to the Ukraine for the very first time, Mm -hmm. we were in a class and the instructor had asked us, when you think about a step, do you look at it in how many parts? Mm. And at that point, we had been taught um, or we had been explained in some ways by many, many teachers that you can think of a step in three phases. So you have sort of the extension phase, the step itself, and then the collection. Mm -hmm. And that pretty much accomplishes one step. Mm -hmm. And so we mentioned that. And she said, well, every single person who comes through Kiev, they've taught us recently to think about it in four steps. And the fourth step for them is sort of this this middle place where 50% or roughly 50% of the weight is on your forward foot and 50% of the weight is on your back foot. Mm -hmm. And the very first thing that happened when that was explained was I completely, in my mind, I said, no, this this doesn't work uh, because you're going to get stuck during the middle. Why why would you care? Mm-hmm. And even when I danced with the followers in that class afterwards, I could feel them getting stuck in that middle phase every single step that we took. And so for a while, I completely disregarded that. Mm-hmm. And then that idea kept coming back and back and back. And even as recently as the end of May, when we went to Boulder, Colorado for workshops with uh, Michelle and uh, Joachim, mm-hmm. I believe they teach in Switzerland, yeah. uh, they, they again were dancing using that middle part of the step. And they were using it both musically and as a way to change dynamic. And so we started really exploring that idea with Sophia. Mm-hmm. And we found that that in many ways is actually the most important part of the step oh. because that's where you can sort of determine the quality of the step. That's where you can decide if the step is staccato or legato, or you can decide how quickly you progress through the step. That's where a place, as an example, that's if you're leading across as a leader, mm-hmm. um, that's the place where you can decide how quick or how slow the cross is, and in many ways, do you even do you even uh, transfer weight in the follower during that cross, or can you control that element? So it's an incredibly powerful movement and something that's been sort of in the ether of tango in our mind for, mm-hmm. I don't know, three years, and we've been battling on how important it is or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, that's, that's been true for me. What mm-hmm. about you, Sophia? For me, one of the most memorable experience was a workshop, a very unusual workshop mm-hmm. that was called musicality for tango dancers Mm -hmm. so this workshop it was held by Joaquin Amenabar Mm -hmm. an Argentine profession professional bandoneon player and teacher and tango dancer so in his workshop he explained in a very simple way on how to listen and interpret the music Mm -hmm. and most importantly on how to dance with the melody because prior to him the teachers were telling us that you need to dance with the melody but no one actually explained on how to do it Mm -hmm. from the methodological perspective so it's easy to understand Mm. so his main idea was um, that every accent of the melody is coinciding with certain beats Mm -hmm. so if you dance on the specific beats that are coinciding with the melody then you're going to dance with a melody. Mm, so, and then an easy approach to it would be just dance as you, uh, just sing as you dance to uh, the music. Mm-hmm. And you can sing out loud when you're practicing or you can sort of sing in your head because it's very easy to co-sing with the melody even mm-hmm. if you haven't heard it. It's just by nature of how our human body works. Mm-hmm. And, and then try to only move 
to what you're singing. Mm -hmm. To the accents of, because when you're singing, you are unconsciously picking up the beats that are coinciding with the melody. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, uh, to, to add just a, a hint to that, mm -hmm. that was probably one of the most incredible experiences we've had mm -hmm. because that was the first time that we really looked at how to treat the musical aspects of the dance. Mm -hmm. And that really opened up the possibilities for actually dancing. And so even after that, I started looking back at my favorite videos of, of tango dancers mm -hmm. and seeing which ones had before just sort of stuck out of my memory, but I couldn't understand why I like them. Mm -hmm. And then also why even looking at some really top of, of the line and, you know, high end uh, professional dancers, you know, world worldly recognized and feeling like while they were dancing really well and I would die to dance like them, I didn't really enjoy that particular performance of theirs and I couldn't understand why. And it ultimately came down to the musical interpretation. Mm -hmm. Some of them were actually letting the music inspire their movement and some of them were just dancing to the music and mm -hmm. that was a very uh, something that joaquin was able to explain that we'd never had anyone explain before mm -hmm. interesting yeah yeah singing in your head that's great yeah i've had some teachers who i dance with and they just knew the lyrics to all the songs and mm -hmm. you can just you know you just see them that singing while they're dancing yeah. it's great and i ha i had very interesting experience mm -hmm. when before i didn't know about this approach Sometimes I was dancing with leaders and they were singing, <laughs> singing out loud when they were dancing with me. Mm -hmm. And my thought was that they just think that I don't hear the music. So they are singing for me to feel it better. Oh. And, <laughs> and now I understand why, what was the reason. Mm -hmm. And I just love because I really like that approach as well. Yeah, very interesting. Nice. So how did you both start teaching? Can you explain how that journey happened? Absolutely. Uh, so our original teachers in Kansas City were Victor and Oksana Golub. Mm. They had moved to Kansas City from Moscow. Um, it was sort of the first place in America where they started living. Mm. And for about the year and a half or so that they were in Kansas City, we were attending their, their classes two to three times a week as much as they were teaching and trying to get as much information as possible. And then about a year and a half into their, their, their stay in Kansas City, uh, they had an opportunity to move to Sarasota, Florida, mm -hmm. uh, which is where they're now. And they they took that opportunity. And by that time, they had developed a call it a mini community around their classes. So it was Sophia and myself and a couple other students mm -hmm. um, and every once in a while, a couple others who would basically religiously follow the classes and the events that they were holding. Mm -hmm. And when they decided to leave, it was it was a void that we felt was going to open up in the community because they were no longer with us. And they had a fear that this little mini community that they had helped nurture was going to fall apart. We were so focused on learning that at that time, I don't think we even knew much about the bigger Kansas City community. And it wasn't through any fault, but the fact that we were so hyper-focused on learning how to dance. Mm -hmm. Long story short, they moved away. And before they left, Victor approached me and said, you know, would you be interested in holding a practica while we're not living in Kansas City for the little community that, that we helped uh, build up mm -hmm. um, just in the hopes that that community doesn't fall apart, that those dancers can keep coming around and then maybe you guys can fold into the bigger community and and, and stay uh, connected to tango. Mm. And we said, absolutely, you know, it's not hard to open the doors and, and maybe play a little bit of music and let people practice and have access to a wonderful floor. Mm -hmm. So that's how we started. And then about three to four months into it, 
we started feeling like everyone who was attending mm -hmm. was asking us a lot of very specific <laughs> questions, questions that we had answers to, mm -hmm. um, but they were looking to us not only to just open the doors and play music, but to also help them understand how the dance worked. Mm. And so we slowly started adding more and more teaching into the event. And at some point the, the scales tipped and we felt like we were actually doing more teaching than just holding a practicum. So at that moment we sort of switched the name and the format and really said, okay, if you guys want to learn and we have information to share, we'll share it. We were also doing a, a fair amount of tango traveling, so we were constantly bringing ideas back from all the events we were going to, and we felt there was a lot of stuff that we could uh, that we could just provide as information for those uh, in our community who unfortunately weren't able to travel, mm -hmm. and and so we kind of just by osmosis started teaching mm -hmm. and then students started showing up who had never done tango and started following along and eventually we we, we sort of felt like we had kind of become teachers by accident in mm -hmm. our community um and 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 it was always it kind of fell into our lap and and we took it and ran with it mm -hmm. yeah that's great how these how these things just happen organically and look where you are now quite an, an unexpected experience but mm -hmm. definitely something we we've we've enjoyed yeah great Great. Yeah, so earlier you mentioned, you know, during your early days of Tango, how there were just some moments where you felt kind of discouraged, yet you kept moving forward with this dance. And I think that regardless of how much encouragement we get, it does take some degree of mental fortitude to sort of kind of push ourselves to become better at Tango. So in your opinions, Kirill and, and Sophia, what are some ways to become a mentally strong Tango dancer? I think for me the most important thing is would be not being afraid to screw up something. Mm. So just dance through it and see what the issues are and then try to resolve them later, especially mm -hmm. during the milonga. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm not going to name uh, the couple that mentioned this to me just because I, I, I feel like they might sure. be embarrassed if I if I uh, if I if I spill this little <laughs> secret. It's not much of a secret, mm -hmm. but I was um, we were taking workshops with really close friends of ours um, and, and really prominent uh, tango teachers and dancers. Mm -hmm. And the leader told me that he was so into dancing during a performance with his follower that he overled something and they literally fell to the floor, Ooh. he on top of her, um, I believe, unfortunately, uh, without hurting her, but mm. they literally fell in the middle of a performance. Mm. And so in some ways, that just shows that, that it's okay to screw up. It's okay to make a mistake. This isn't a test necessarily, and this isn't uh, this doesn't define you. And mm -hmm. the the whole learning experience is is an experience. So it comes with good, it comes with bad, and you just go with the flow and sort of work with it. The other thing that I think uh, it's taken me years to to understand, and I'm still getting better at it, mm -hmm. is all the stuff that's in my head is literally in my head. Mm -hmm. I've danced with uh, professional followers um, where at the end of the dance, I'll be like, do you remember that movement in the middle that didn't work? And her response is, what are you talking about? <laughs> and that to me, like I, I did that, let's say during the second song of the Tonda. And for the rest of the Tonda, I keep replaying that one place where I screwed up mm. and the follower, she doesn't even remember that movement. She didn't feel anything. It, it, it completely escaped her because she's thinking about her own dancing mm -hmm. and other elements. And so a lot of tango is only in your head. And when you sort of realize that and you're able to relax a little bit and think, even if I screw up, it's okay, because there's a good chance that nobody else in the entire world, including the person I'm physically connected to at the moment, even noticed. Mm. 
And that really helps because then you're like, okay, I screwed up. I get a chance next time. I can just try again and next time it'll, it'll, it might work better. And if it doesn't, I'll keep trying until it does. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I like what you said that you're not defined by your mistakes. I think that's a really important message regardless of whether or not you're a tango dancer. Oh yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What was a bad tango habit that you both used to have and how did you get over it? I, do, I will start answering this question. Mm-hmm. I don't know about Kirill, but I had very specific bad habits. Mm-hmm. Before, a couple years ago, I really had a fear that I will not hear my leader. Mm-hmm. And what I did, I used to be very fast at reacting to every lead, lead that I heard. Mm-hmm. And this resulted in my dancing being very stiff and lack smoothness and fluidity because I was jumping from one move to another. Mm. And the solution to this issue was resolved by, not an accident, but by me getting pregnant. (laughs) Because what ended up happening is that when I was gaining weight, Mm -hmm. I could not physically move that fast. And therefore, leaders had to wait for me to execute the movement. So I could hear the lead pretty well. Mm -hmm. However, it took, I needed more time to execute my movement and to dance it. Mm. So that significantly changed my way to approach dancing and open a lot of possibility for doing decorations because that's exactly what you need to be able to dance well. Mm -hmm. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I think that's an experience only. Uh, I, I, w- I would say only female followers can really relate to. Um, Gaining weight can be beneficial for tango. It can be. Um, for me, it was actually something very different. I come from a musical background, so I could always hear the music and mm-hmm. I could always understand the music. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like I had to express everything that I heard. And so I was always trying to overdance and do, in my opinion now, too much. Mm-hmm. And so we had a we had a private lesson at one point with Nick Jones from mm, Colorado. Yes, yes, yeah. And uh, and he told me this great analogy. He said, in many ways, as a leader, you should be kind of like Pandora's box in the sense that you have all this energy pent up inside you. And when you dance, you barely crack the box open. You lease just a little bit of it mm-hmm. and then you immediately close it. And then that little bit gets amplified by your follower. And, and your goal is to make and to make her and to allow her to dance your ideas in her way through you. Mm. And uh, I'm still working with that because it's such a challenging concept to not do mm-hmm. too much and to right. allow your follower to really take the leader's ideas and make them into something uh, something beautiful. That's kind of what we aspire to. Um, well, another great example is Joachim uh, Dedeker from Switzerland, and mm-hmm. I mentioned them earlier. We had an opportunity to learn from them both last time in, in Boulder, Colorado, but even before that in Italy when we went uh, to a festival. Um, he saw Sophia and I dancing. He came up and he told me one very specific thing, and he said, you need to dance into your follower. Mm-hmm. And what he meant was, I need to try to put my movement into my followers understanding into her body into into her to use her sort of as an expression for my ideas Mm. and that really means pulling back and 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 being super clear in what i'm trying to say Mm -hmm. and then letting my follower interpret to the to the best of her ability and also to her own personal interest in the dance and that that's been a bad habit from the beginning and something i'm still working and improving on Mm -hmm. 
And and this approach is also very uh, useful and necessary for the followers to develop farther in their dance. Mm -hmm. Because if leader is trying to over dance and control every step that the follower does, then the follower doesn't will never get the opportunity to express herself, to take her time to execute the movements, to introduce decorations. And then the leaders are complaining that the followers are not improvising that they would like them to do more. Not decorating or not, not doing decorating, their not, own thing in some yes. cases. Mm. But it's also this issue maybe also stemming from the leaders not giving their followers opportunity to mm -hmm. practice that skill. Because I feel that tango is a skill mm -hmm. that you are developing with dancing and with experience. And the more you practice, the easier it's going to get for you and more pleasure you're going to get from the dance yeah yeah like you said i like what you said about giving giving the follower time what, what i found as a leader maybe maybe you uh, might identify with this as well is you know we can we can think faster than we can dance and you know it's not good to try to mm -hmm. dance as fast as you can think it's so yeah <laughs> so, oh that that is that is very well said um i i completely agree with that and, and unfortunately we think about i think too many things at once and then our body just doesn't know what to actually listen to <laughs> yeah yeah I, i'm working on that as well <laughs> so yeah, so you've been teaching for quite a while now. So in your opinions, what are some good ways for your advanced students to help beginner students? From my perspective, mm -hmm. it's uh, it's for the advanced student to have a lot of patience, mm -hmm. to have a lot of clarity, and to really understand that a lot of tango is muscle memory. So mm -hmm. this is something that comes, I think, if you uh, as an individual have a history of any sort of training, whether mm -hmm. it's training for a sports event or, or let's say that you were a musician or are a musician and you know the value of many, many hours of practice, or if you come from another dance and you have this sort of training background, you understand that it's not about just understanding the information. I think it was either Carolina del Rivero or Gabby Mataloni mm -hmm. that at one point told me, the information is in your head, but it needs time to download into your body. Mm -hmm. And I really, I really love that because our, our muscles are in some ways stupid and in some ways incredibly intelligent. Mm -hmm. So they need a lot of training to then be able to do the movements themselves. Mm -hmm. And so I think an advanced dancer, if they can be very clear in their own movements and then just be patient with the beginner to just help them execute whatever it is you're working on, hundreds if not thousands of times without getting frustrated and with just pacing the advice and not necessarily throwing all the information at them at once but just giving them a little bit of help that will help them just try it one more time mm -hmm. and try it one more time and do it a little bit like this and try to get just a little bit better mm -hmm. and i think after after enough time the body adapts and all of a sudden something that was really hard 15 20 times ago mm -hmm. becomes like taking a sip of water or taking another breath. It becomes something that you don't even think about anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another good example would be when we attended workshops with Chicho and Juana. Mm -hmm. He gave us a really complicated back saccada sequence. And then when everybody was frustrated that they couldn't do it, but you know the teachers, of course, could do it really easily. Mm -hmm. He gave a very good analogy saying, 
imagine uh, do you remember wh- how much time it took you to leave the cross mm-hmm. <laughs> how frustrated you were when it didn't work and now you are doing it without even thinking mm-hmm. and that is how many times so that's coming from how many times you did the cross in your dancing mm-hmm. and then he said this is how many times i did this back saccada with my followers mm-hmm. so that's why it's so easy for me to do it Right. As Victor, our our first teacher, um, as he told me at one point, he said, all of it is flight hours. You need the flight hours. Mm -hmm. You can get them in classes and practicas in milongas, Mm -hmm. uh, especially in milongas. But a lot of tango is flight hours, not just the knowledge that you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We just have to be patient with ourselves and just keep working at it. Absolutely. Yeah, so Kirill and Sofia, I first met you a few weeks ago in, in Chicago. Really loved the performance that you did at the Windy City Tango Festival. It was really nice to Thank watch. Thank you. Yeah, so what advice do you have for, for students out there who are maybe looking to perform or looking for opportunities to perform? The best advice we got, this was also from Nick uh, at one point. Mm-hmm. He asked us during, I think, one of the first times we spoke with him. He said, do you guys perform? And I said, eh. We're, we're starting to, he says, just perform. He says, the next time we talk, I want you to send me a video of a recent performance. Mm. And basically the advice was just start. The first performance you ever do, it's not going to be very good. It's not going to be very good for absolutely everyone. It's just a, a, a fact of life, mm-hmm. right? This is performing is yet another skill. It's another. It's kind of like public speaking. If you've never spoken in front of an audience, mm-hmm. no matter how well you can use your voice, the very first time you talk with someone, it's not going to sound very good. But if you've spoken at a hundred different events in front of crowds of thousands of people, it's going to be really easy. Mm-hmm. And it's just because you've done it so that would be the my first advice is just start and then um sophia i think you have some ideas yeah so kirill gave me a very good approach to think about performances because he had a lot of experience uh with uh performing he was playing cello and he Mm. had a lot of experience playing cello with an orchestra Mm -hmm. and other events and competitions so what he told me to think about is that Think about the performance like you are doing your work assignment. Mm-hmm. Your so job. It's your job. Mm. Just concentrate on accomplishing the task the best way you can. Don't think about anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think the best of that, it was something that my mother told me when I was a little kid <laughs> and I was really nervous before going out on a, on a musical competition. Mm-hmm. She said, you're not going out there to compete. You're not going out there to wow anyone. This is your job. This is how, what you do right now for a living as a little kid, <laughs> uh, aside from just little kid stuff. Right. But it's like, this This is what you need to do. So go out there and just work. Imagine that you're, you you need to start and you need to finish and you need to do a good job. Mm-hmm. And when, when I framed everything like that, everything aside from what I was working on went into the background. I didn't notice the judges. I didn't notice anyone sitting in the audience. I just focused on the task at hand. Mm-hmm. And, and that really helps to calm down the nerves and to really think about it because every single one of us has a job mm-hmm. and once you've done your job long enough your job becomes easy that's sort of the uh, you, you think about it that's what experience is all about and so when you're just doing your job every day you're not nervous usually you're just mm-hmm. doing it what it is that you're good at mm-hmm. and and if you approach performing like that think some things become easier uh, what one more thought in the end in the end uh, when it comes to performances if you really can't calm down down your nerves a shot or two helps <laughs> <laughs> Not too much, just a shot or two. Yeah, 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 yeah. just a shot or two. <laughs> yeah. 
to be warm enough. Yeah, yeah, to warm up on the inside as well. Yeah, yeah, great. Yeah, so over the years of, of, of through all your teaching experience, uh, what have you learned from your own students? I'll start and then I'll let Sophia add mm-hmm. some thoughts. Uh, for me, what I've learned is that tango is hard to explain. Mm. Uh, I'll go into a class and I, I'll, I'll be thinking about exactly how I want to explain a certain topic and I'll, I'll have this entire plan laid out in my mind of how I'm going to go from explanation one to explanation two to explanation three to the questions. Mm-hmm. And I say the very first thing I'm going to say and I feel like the entire class just didn't understand at all what happened Mm. and what I'm explaining. Like, it just didn't make sense. And so immediately I start thinking on the spot, okay, how do I reframe this? What am I actually doing when I'm doing whatever it is I'm trying to explain? How do I get this idea across? And so I start finding ways to try to explain something better. And then as the light bulbs start coming on, Uh, in class, I realized, oh, that's what it is. And many times I've caught myself that in just trying to fix a student's uh, mistake or to try to explain it better, I'll come out of it thinking, oh, that's why that works. That's the key. And I've had this epiphany more times than I can count. And I feel so blessed in many ways to have students who ask those questions and who don't get it immediately Mm -hmm. because it allows me to really get down into the nitty gritty details for me of understanding it. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden I get it better and then I can explain it better next time. And I would like to add that what I'm thinking when I'm coming to teach the lesson is that I'm trying to understand the purpose the student came to the class. Because not every student is coming to the class to make sure that they have perfect technique and perfect hearing and they perfectly hear the music. Mm -hmm. Some people are just coming to have fun, Mm -hmm. to socialize, to just do something together with other people and when they're coming to the class you need to realize that and then give the people what they're expecting from you at the class because if you are going to you know concentrate too much on technique for the people that may not need it at this point of their tango lesson uh, that they may not need it at this point of their tango life Mm -hmm. or they're just not it's not their goal it may be very difficult to approach and to make the tango lesson experience good for them. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think from our perspective, uh, there is a certain tipping point in every tango dancer's life mm-hmm. where they go from just doing it because it's because it's something that they started doing to where they suddenly feel, oh, I want to get good at this. Mm-hmm. And I think as teachers, our life is really difficult up until the point of where that person tips over. So once a person tips over, it doesn't really matter how you teach them or or even what you teach them. They're committed mm-hmm. and they're going to get as much information out of you as they possibly can. And then hopefully that's enough for them to either continue on in their own right or look for another teacher and get even more information. But for those who haven't gotten to that point where they're committed, I think it's every teacher's job to just get them to that next lesson. Yeah. And basically, whatever that means, if it means letting them have fun, if it means teaching them a gancho during their very first class, if it means doing anything that isn't going to put them into a place where they're going to have a bad habit, Mm -hmm. but it is going to get them just to have enough fun and enough interest to come back the next time. And, and, And finding that is its own 
it's his own journey and something that's really fun and difficult for us teachers. And, and that's true for and unique for every student that comes into our through our doors. Mm-hmm. Nice. So what advice do you have for Tango students who are thinking of going to Buenos Aires for the first time? That's a really funny question because neither Sofia or I have actually been to Buenos Aires yet. Okay. We haven't had a chance to travel mm-hmm. uh, there. That being said, we've talked every single workshop that we've organized and every single teacher Mm -hmm. that we've brought to Kansas City and anyone that we talk to we always ask them about Buenos Aires just because that's the natural topic to to talk to people about and one of the best things that was told to me I think it was either either Adam Hoopengardner Mm -hmm. or Alberto Cordero yeah one of those two told me they said there are bad dancers in Buenos Aires Mm. just as there are everywhere else in the world And what he meant by that was, look, if you're waiting to be good enough to dance in Buenos Aires, then just go to Buenos Aires. There's going to be people who are worse than you in Buenos Aires. Mm -hmm. Just just by being in Buenos Aires doesn't make you a good dancer. Mm -hmm. So there's no reason not to go ever. Mm -hmm. Uh, just, Just go and experience it. Uh, the other things that I can say talking with others is that it's a mixed bag. Yeah. So there's going to be times when um, there's going to be events where you're going to feel like, oh, this is amazing. And others where you're going to be like, this is really not not fun. I've talked to people who say, you know, Buenos Aires is you have to do it. But I, if I could, I wouldn't do, ever do it. Mm-hmm. And then others who say, I take every opportunity I can to go to Buenos Aires. It's the best place in the world. The best, I would say... Without actually having gone through this myself, but but very actively working on it or thinking about it in many ways, is there are there are people. Um, so Veronica Kruta is one of mm-hmm. them. Yeah. Roxanne Mayer from St. Louis is another. Mm-hmm. I think Jessica Arfanoni and Daniela Roig in Chicago yeah. are yet another uh, another set of people. They all organize these sort of group tango vacations Mm -hmm. in Buenos Aires where you basically are going as a group of people your oftentimes your accommodations and meals are included along with some local instruction and even visits to milongas and I think that if you're going to Buenos Aires as you would to any country unless you're intimately familiar with the language and the culture Mm -hmm. it often helps to go with another group of people especially those who know the subculture Mm -hmm. Um, and and they can help you have the best experience and I've known many people who've gone on those trips who have never been to Buenos Aires and they come back and say it was amazing mm-hmm. we got really good experiences the organizers did an amazing job and so I would say if you've never gone go with one of those groups first even if it is a little bit more expensive mm-hmm. just because that will give you the full flavor of Buenos Aires tango mm-hmm. and then the next time you go you can go by yourself or with a with another group or however way you want but mm-hmm. at least you'll understand what tango is all about in Buenos Aires from people who know how it works down there yeah yeah, says I haven't been there yet either. So <laughs> yeah, so so we'll we'll have to we'll have to catch up when either one of us right. goes and talk about our experiences. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Great. So how do you both keep challenging yourselves? I'll, I'm actually going to let Sophia answer this one because mm-hmm. in many ways she's the one who forces me to do this, uh, and I think it's an incredible it's an incredible way. I I absolutely hate it, but mm-hmm. it's incredible. So what we do every time we practice something and dance, we try to record ourselves Ah. and then watch and see what we like and what we don't like. And because we watch a lot of good professional dancers uh, performing on on YouTube YouTube, and other Mm -hmm. places. So our 
our vision is already trained for searching for right or wrong technique mm -hmm. items. So we could easily see what we like and what we don't like when we dance. And the next time when we, when we see it, we just work on it, we try to correct it, and then we record ourselves the next time and see if we're able to yeah, correct. See, see how, much, how much we still suck, basically. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if, I, if I could ever you know, snap my fingers, get one wish in Tango, and be able, well, no, there's two things I want, but I'll start with the first one. If I could ever get one wish in Tango, it would be to have an out-of-body experience and watch myself dance from, from the outside and to critique myself. Because I feel that I can see everything that I want to fix in me, mm -hmm. but I can't see me. And so the best thing I can do is record a video and hopefully get enough information out of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, videotaping yourself, it's such a humbling experience, but I think it's so necessary. <laughs> so yeah. I think yeah. a lot of people can identify with your uh, your thoughts on that. Yeah. Yep. You're always, it feels like you're dancing significantly better than you see on the video. Yeah. 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 <laughs> you're dancing and you're like, oh my God, this is the best thing ever. And then you look at the video like, wow, maybe oh. I should maybe I should take a vacation for a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's weird because sometimes other people will see it because you're, you're so close to what you're doing. Other other people see it. Wow, that looks really good. And then you'll be like, "Well, I know this is. I, I see. I didn't do this. Didn't step far enough here. That. Yeah. So it's. Yeah. It's but you know, e even in those experiences, I love showing videos to other people, just mm -hmm. because I. W and and oftentimes I'll go to to confidants, people I can trust, people who I respect, and I'll say, you know, critique the absolute crap out of what you see, mm -hmm. not because I completely agree with everything that you're going to say, but because you're going to see something that I can't see or that I haven't paid attention to. Mm -hmm. And I also want, you know, I, I for my own benefit, I want to hear the good stuff, but really, I want to hear the bad stuff as well. I want you yeah. to tell me where you want me to improve. So I, I think, you know, it, it, with everyone having smartphones and, and obnoxiously easy access to a camera, recording yourself is is really simple and incredibly useful for, for keeping yourself going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you know, with this dance, there's always something new to learn, which is why it kind of never gets old. So even though you both had so much experience, what's something new that you've learned recently, perhaps in the last few months or years? Uh, maybe I'll start. And because I'm very concentrated on small technique tips, mm -hmm. I will share with you one of the tips that I recently got from the workshop during Windy City Tango Marathon in Chicago. Mm -hmm. Festival. Fest yeah, festival. I think Rods could probably get to start doing a marathon at some point, but I think it's a <laughs> festival so far. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So I received this advice from uh, Jessica Arfanoni, mm -hmm. and she mentioned that when you are doing back ochos, it's very important for the follower to turn her heel towards the leader when you're transferring your weight over it. Mm. And that helps you a lot to keep the distance to your leader unchanged and also makes your pivot very smooth and looking very pretty mm -hmm. yep. and I used to I used to not to do it and Kirill was always complaining that I'm not stepping close enough to him mm. and he he was thinking that that's because I'm not pivoting enough so he was asking me to pivot more mm -hmm. but I was pivoting to my maximum capacity and I was still not being close enough to him and that small tip helped me a lot with maintaining the distance and therefore maintaining close embrace that any embrace any, i mean just yeah. literally mm -hmm. making it so that with one step she didn't all of a sudden change the distance and and force me to uh, to adjust in ways that i may have been unprepared for mm -hmm. so 
that that's that was my that's yours yeah mm-hmm. um, from my perspective I actually there, there are a couple of small things that I discovered recently mm-hmm. uh, so one of them was that it's actually okay to keep my weight back towards my heel mm. you know a lot of times when we started dancing tango everyone said no you got to keep your weight over the ball of the foot you got to keep your weight there and then I realized well it's not an exact science right. yes that is the optimal place for pivoting sometimes mm-hmm. but tango comes in so many different ways and there in the dance itself is so unpredictable in the middle of the dance something could throw you off and your weight's going to transfer back and in some cases it's actually okay to keep more of your weight over your heel just know when you need to put it over the ball of the foot Mm -hmm. and so something that i learned recently was that what i'd been experiencing in my own dancing i I got validity from people i respected and professionals and teachers who were world recognized that that was okay Mm-hmm. And, and and that felt really really wonderful to know that that's not a mistake that's that's something you can you can do in in that same vein the the latest new thing that I learned uh, we were taking a private with Liz and Yannick mm-hmm. uh, Van Hove I think is their last name yep. um, they were at uh, Windy City uh, Tango Festival as well mm-hmm. and um, and they did a movement a sort of a milonguero style pivot mm-hmm. where Yannick uh, did it on two feet. So he sort of did this kind of heel toe double footed pivot, which I'm still exploring. Mm. Uh, and I think it might be a little bit challenging to, to explain in words, but the, the gist of it is that you, you sort of put like, let's say the leader has his weight on the left foot on the right foot. Uh, you put your toe sort of behind your left foot heel Mm -hmm. and then you pivot on your right ball of the foot and on your left heel at the same time and so you're sort of pivoting on two different parts of your feet but as you pivot towards the right foot you're effectively doing a two-footed pivot Mm -hmm. it's this kind of this funky little movement but it's uh it's very unusual and it's very effective as the old milongueros used to do it that was a very common way for them to pivot interesting and um and and when when uh when yannick did it the first time i looked at it and said can you do it again what, what was that <laughs> that looked great i have no idea mm-hmm. and he's like ah that movement has a lot of tango in it mm-hmm. i said what are you talking about and he said uh i said i've never heard tango being used as a unit of measurement he says a lot of times in the old days they uh if if somebody saw something in tango and said that it had a lot of tango in it it meant that it had that magic where it looked like tango it felt like tango but you couldn't understand why and that was the true essence of tango so that was <laughs> that was the funny thing that i learned uh, there that you know tango is a unit of measurement mm-hmm. and uh and you gotta uh, there are certain things you can apply it towards mm, interesting nice yeah good stuff good stuff well, Kirill and Sofia, this has been a lot of fun. So where do we find out more about you both online? So we have our own personal websites, which is tangomatiz.com. Mm-hmm. And Matiz is M-A-T-I-Z. Mm-hmm. So that's where we, we have just a little bit of information about us, some of our uh, recent videos, as well as where we teach on a weekly basis. And then, of course, Facebook. The entire world of tango is on Facebook. So mm-hmm. we're, we're there as well. We have a, a, a page for ourselves, also Tango Matiz. Um, so that's uh, that's also a good place to, to learn more about us. Okay, great. I'll have links to your uh, website and Facebook in the show notes so people will be awesome. able to look you up. Cool, thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, Kirill and Sophia, thank you again so much for taking the time on a Sunday to, to talk to me. I know you both have a lot going on, travels and events and that sort of thing. But, yeah, it's really been fun talking to you. And I'm sure the uh, listening audience will 
uh, find some really interesting information from the uh, from the interview. Thank you so much, Joe. It's been our pleasure. Yeah. Thank you for inviting us. Sure, sure. All right. Well, keep in touch and hope to run into you again in person soon. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. That was fun. It was really interesting to hear about Kirill and Sophia's tango journey, and we covered a lot of ground during our conversation, but I really appreciated what they said about mistakes. It's okay to make them. There will be ample opportunity to work on them later. And more important, how we are not defined by our mistakes. And like Kirill said, everything that's in our heads is only in our heads. If we're serious about our tango, no one will remember our mistakes the way we will. Chances are the person we're dancing with is also a conscientious individual and too busy focusing on his or her own issues instead of paying attention to ours. I also like what Sophia said about her initial fear of not being able to read her partner and how she used to move too quickly. And it wasn't until she got pregnant when she was forced to slow down and how that really helped her dancing. Now, of course, we're not implying that getting pregnant is always the go-to method of improving your tango, but taking the time to execute your movements will do wonders. It will give you time for embellishments or give you a better opportunity to express the movement that the leader is inviting you to do. And on the other side of that, Kirill mentioned the importance of not being obliged to express everything in the music. Do just a few things and give the follower the chance to interpret your ideas in her way or his way. And since we're on the subject of slowing things down, patience is really important, as we've heard many times on this podcast. And like they said, when learning tango, it takes a while for the information to download from our heads into our bodies. Yeah, thinking of it as downloading, that's a really good that's a really good visual. And I also like their advice on performance. And there's no real trick. You just have to do it and keep doing it. And you get better by doing it over and over again. And instead of looking upon it as something frightening, we should take Kirill's mother's advice and view performance as a job. Focus on the task, and after a while it becomes easy and routine, and we get better and better at it. Only tango as a job tends to be a lot more soul-enriching than writing up budget proposals or attending mandatory HR meetings. No offense to any HR people out there, but if you do work in HR, you really ought to take up tango. It'll probably save your life. So thank you again, Kirill and Sophia, for sharing your thoughts and for your time. And of course, thanks to all your listeners for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please take a quick moment to subscribe and please leave a five-star rating and review if you haven't already. That helps out a lot. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, please feel free to send an email to wisconsintango at gmail.com. Once again, that's wisconsintango, all one word, at gmail.com. Looking forward to hearing from you. Okay, that's it for today. You've been listening to Joe's Tango Podcast. I'm Joe Yang, and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye.